0: Our faith binds us together and at the same time, our faith sends us and when our faith sends us, our faith binds us in such a way that we go together. We pray and we pause and we recognize in a service like this those who are in a very real way, in a very significant way, at kind of a landmark moment being sent. But we go with them. Every one of our students, each and every one of you, when you step foot into your workplace, when you step foot into your college campus, when you step foot into that destination that the next part of your life is going to lead you, you will not do that independently of us. We're your family. Our faith has brought us together. Our faith is uni- has brought unity into our lives. Our faith has caused us to love one another, care for one another, be with one another, pray for one another, send one another, and at the same time, go with one another. You will, you will not spend a lonely night in a dorm that someone in your church won't be praying for you. You will not lay down after an exhausting day at work and wonder, why am I doing this job? Why did I pick this trade without knowing? that your church feels and works and strives with you. Our faith brings us together. A mission team never goes by itself. The generosity of our church has offset the vast majority of the cost for this mission trip. You're going with them. When they step foot on that plane for 20 something hours to get to Nairobi, we'll go with them. I gotta be honest, Paul, as the team leader, I'm just gonna tell you, I'll go with you in spirit, but I don't want that 20 hours on the plane. But I am glad that God has called you and Lana and our our team to go. We go with it. When they step off in Nairobi and they go to their first church site and they go to help those new church plants and they interact with people in that city and in those communities, we are there with them. And at the same time, all of us are sent As well. It's not like we're going to sit back here and just kick back in a recliner and do nothing. We're still going because we go all the time. Our faith has brought us together, and our faith is what motivates us, and our faith that changed us so significantly is what we have to share. It's the hope that's found in Jesus. And it is the only real and it is the only substantive hope that is in the world. In Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse 11, the second half of that chapter, where we've isolated out as chapters and verses, the apostle Paul begins to talk about that hope. And like he often does, he reminds us significantly what it was like not having hope. And not having hope was not having Christ. And not having Christ left us completely alienated. We support your schools. We support your teachers. We support your administrators. We pray for them all the time. We are, as a congregation, interacting all the time with our school districts, public school districts, private schools, home schools. Our whole congregation is represented by very, basically every form of education that's available. But your graduate degree does not transform your life. It'll feel like it because it's such a big step. But it won't change who you are. It won't become your character. In fact, sadly enough, in just a couple of years, you'll be ashamed to tell somebody that you went high school you went to because you will take on new identities. The biggest difference between what just happened this morning and what will happen Saturday morning for many of you is that your church has been eternally changed. And you have been eternally changed by the work of Jesus in your heart. And that never changes. We'll always be there with you. I was at a service speaking for Mother's Day, Mother's Day afternoon, and one of the guests that was also on the platform with me was singing, and that young lady walked up to me and she said, you're Pastor James, and she listed a church that I used to pastor a number of years ago, and I said, yes, that's me. And she, she's looking at me, she goes, you probably don't recognize me, and I didn't, I didn't have a clue who she was. But she went on to tell me how at 10, in our church, she had accepted Christ. And she came to know Christ. And she became a part of children's choirs. And she became a part of children's ministry. And God used that ministry to bring stability into her life. Now, we have been separated over multiple decades. And I didn't recognize her. But the reality of the eternal Christ that had changed her life and that had changed my life was still working in us. And in that instant, we are still together because of what Jesus has done, only Jesus can do this. No one else and no other entity or organization or institution can make the radical transformation in a person's life that Jesus can. And we need it. So in Ephesians chapter two, and verse 11, Paul begins to talk about how desperately we need it. Because we want to belong and we want to know and we want hope and we want that encouragement and we want forgiveness and we want all the things that Christ makes available. In Ephesians chapter two, in verse 11, he says, so then, just gathering their attention, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Now, this passage of scripture, these verses in Ephesians chapter two are filled with Paul's background, heritage, and history in Jewish faith. It's not just about ethnicity. It's about faith that has identity. And Paul's faith prior to meeting Jesus was identified in the Jewish faith, our Old Testament in Judaism. But God had changed Paul and God had changed the world through Jesus. And now, both Jew and Gentiles, which was the tag or the label or the name for everyone outside of the Jewish faith, were together and now in one faith and now in the one church, in the new church. And so he'll use these references that may seem a little odd to us when he talks about at one time we were Gentiles in the faith, but he's essentially just saying to us, once you had no faith. There was a time when you had no faith. You didn't know God. You weren't in a relationship with him. You were identified in a visible, physical fashion. But that wasn't who you were. And that wasn't who God wanted you to be by that flesh. And in that moment, identified physically... Jesus comes into the picture and we make the decision to trust Jesus and when we make that decision to trust Jesus, now we are changed and transformed because as he says in verse 12, at that time, you were without Christ. You don't have a relationship. You, you're, you don't have faith and you don't know God and it's not personal and it's not life-changing and it's not transformational and it's not helpful and it's not sheltered and it's not, all the beautiful things about God didn't exist at that point. You were completely without him. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You had no place of faith. You were without belonging. You were without a people. Because faith had separated you from God and faith had, I mean, lack of faith had separated you from God and lack of faith had separated you from his people. You had no place to belong. You were foreigners of the covenants, of the promise, the, the greatness of what God wants to do in a person's life. You were, most pitifully, in the end of verse 12, without hope and without God in the world. Without hope. Hope is so fleeting, and we hope in so many things that let us down over and over and over again. But Paul ties hope exclusively to Jesus. When we have Jesus, we have hope. When we have Jesus, we have a a place to belong. When we have Jesus, we have a relationship with God and this changes everything for us. It changes our identity. I am not now alone or isolated or removed or estranged. I I am not the, the victim of separation or division or racism or criticism or judgment. I am now in a relationship with Almighty God and his opinion of me transcends every other opinion. Even the ones I hold of myself and that's sometimes hard to understand in our relationship with Christ. Our identity in Jesus excels even beyond the way we identify ourselves. He loves us exactly the perfect way he created us. He loved us before we were born. He loved us according to scripture when we were in our mother's womb he dreamed of us and initiated that process through the love of our parents out of his heart and out of his mind and out of his intention. And the only thing that changed that was our unwillingness to acknowledge it. And that's what separated us, that's, that's what alienated us from him and from one another. But the simple act of faith. That simple moment when you said, you know, I'm willing to trust. That simple moment when, when you said, even if it doesn't completely and fully make sense to me, I am willing to trust. I'm willing to believe. I don't understand it all. And honestly, we never will understand it all. But faith even goes beyond our ability to comprehend and even explain used to worry me, used to used to kind of bother me that I couldn't explain everything. And I used to, I used to get scared. We were, we were in a pre-service meeting praying together and going over all the moving parts of this morning to make sure everything went hopefully smoothly and, and seamlessly and, and somebody prior to us actually starting the meeting asked me a question and I still to some degree even kind of internally cringed because there's an expectation that I have an answer. And I don't always have answers but I'm okay because the one I'm connected to, the one I'm in relationship with is the answer. I can't explain everything about who God is, and honestly, I gotta, be, I gotta be real frank with you, I don't want a God I can explain. The beauty of his majesty is the fact that I can't explain him. The fact is I'm a creation, I am not a creator. I don't need to understand how everything works. I just understand who made it happen. and. You lose that alienation. I don't have to come up with an answer. The answer is simply, I know him. I've I've met him. I'm in relationship. And even in that relationship that I was so disqualified from because of my sin, he made it possible. Jesus made this happen. Not me, not my comprehension, not my understanding, not my decision making. He made it possible. In verse 13, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, but now... In Christ Jesus. And that's huge. You all were given great Bibles this morning. That's an excellent Bible. It's the apologetics Bible. You can actually not only just read that Bible through, you can turn to Ephesians chapter two, verse 13. You can circle that but now in Christ because that's a huge change. That's where the change happens, that but now in Jesus. But at the same time, when a coworker asks you a question and you're not sure, about cultural trends and things that are happening and, and fast moving and being brought to you as information from TikTok or Instagram or any other source. You can go to your Bible and the Bibles we've given you have those subjects listed where you can look it up and see what is what does the Bible say about this? Because it's my foundation. You learned that as children, you were a part of that, you've been taught that, you know that. And now you have a tool that makes it easy to do that and give you accurate information. But now, in Christ. But now, Christ Jesus in verse 13, when we were far away, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. That wall probably is a reference to the temple. That separation of the people of faith, the Jews and their faith and their faith in the one true God and the one only God and all Gentiles and all others who didn't believe. It was separated physically in the temple. Literally in the temple. The Jewish part of the temple was at one elevation. Everything was built. The Holy of Holies is at that elevation. The different courts that were allowed in that section was at that elevation. So you have the court of the priest, you have the court of women, you have the court of Israel. To go where the rest of us could go if we wanted to worship God, you had to descend from that. You had to literally walk down five flights, five stairs to get to a new level. It was designed intentionally to separate God's people from the rest of the world. Once you got to this level, you would take 14 steps in either direction and you would hit a yard and a half wide, nearly five feet wide wall that separated those courts from any of the inner courts. And on the outside of that wall, if you reverse that trend and you were coming back, you had come into the temple complex and you were going to want to worship and want to be in connection with God, and you hit that wall, that that thick wall, on the sign on the wall, and they've actually excavated this and proven it, it says that if you're a Gentile, if you're a person lacking faith, to proceed any further is punishable by death and it wasn't one of those silly redneck texas signs it was real they would literally execute you if you attempted to bridge that gap and here's the amazing part what paul is saying here when he says that those groups those walls have been torn down in his flesh referring to jesus He made of no effect the law consisting the commands and expressed the regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from two resulting in peace. A separation we could not correct. Jesus corrected. It's as if Jesus said, look, I'm, I don't like the way this is designed. It was designed intentionally by the, by the Spirit of God early in the Old Testament and early for the people to have a place to worship. He said, but this is not what I ever wanted. And you study the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again, God wants all people to know him. And Jesus says, I, I don't need this. And he walks down those steps and he walks to the lower level and he walks through that wall literally destroying it in all of its significance and meaning and says, I want all people to know me. Even on his cross, in one of the most dramatic symbols and moments of the fact that the gospel, the good news, the hope of Jesus is for all people, the veil that was in the very center of that temple and hid the most holy of holy areas where God's presence was to dwell, literally rips apart that evening and doesn't exist any longer because now the spirit of God is everywhere. Jesus creates reconciliation. He takes away all these laws and he takes away all these things that hinder us and he opens up and it says in verse 16, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God and in one body through the cross by which he put... The hostility of death, to, the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace for you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Jesus made all believers family. All believers are connected to God. All believers are connected to one another. The distance doesn't exist anymore. The divide doesn't exist anymore. The legality doesn't exist anymore. It's been replaced by grace. The hostility doesn't exist anymore. It's been made peace by the one who said to us, my peace I give to you. Not the peace of this world. Not the peace that's so fleeting and so unhelpful and so shallow and immaterial. My peace, Jesus said, I give to you. And he gives us that peace wherever we are. He gives us that peace in a dorm room. He gives us that peace on a soccer field. He gives us that peace in in a classroom. He gives us that peace in a classroom with a hostile liberal professor. He gives us that peace in the bay of a mechanic shop. He gives us that peace in a construction site. He gives us that peace anywhere and everywhere we are. He gives us that peace. If we're in Nairobi, if he gives us that peace, if we're in Houston, he gives us that peace in Tomball. He gives us that peace in Montgomery. He gives us that peace because it's ours from him. Jesus reconciled us. Alienation no longer describes us. Reconciliation now describes us because in giving us that peace, Jesus' death on the cross made it possible that we can be in relationship with him and in relationship with one another. That's the heart of it. People ask, how, how can a church be so friendly? How, how, can a, how can a place be so welcoming? It's because we finally woke up one day and said to ourselves, look, let's give our opinions and our prejudice Arrest. Let's set it aside. Like all the rest of the sin that we're challenged to put off that, because it entangles and it hinders us from running the race. And let's just see how much God loves us. And in the process, let's just see if we can love one another the same way. It happens because of Jesus' peace. He reconciled us to himself. He reconciled us so that now we can be reconciled with one another. Jesus made it possible we're not described by alienation any longer it's not about isolation and, and 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 removal from presence it's all about being together and reconciled and jesus accomplished that in his death so verse 19 he says so then literally translated consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, the very foundation, the very point from which everything else gains its synergy and strength. Jesus is the cornerstone now, no longer rejected, no longer put aside as Psalms describes. In him, the whole building Being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We're now the temple. Us. In in this moment, God is no longer looking for a constructed place to reside, He is looking for open and available hearts. He doesn't need an ornate holy of holies. He doesn't need a mercy seat. He doesn't need the gold-carved statues and decorations. He doesn't need the veils of purple linen. He doesn't need the, the scales and images engraved on leather. He doesn't need the incense. He doesn't need a priest. Because he wants to live in us. The Holy of Holies, since the time Jesus died on the cross, is no longer a physical location. It is a place in our hearts. And God dwells in our hearts. And when all the little temples get together, it just makes it that much more convenient and free for Him to move, which is a critical component of understanding our faith when we're sent. When we are in a place, we need to find the rest of our body. The rest of our citizens, the rest of the members of our household, we need to find the other temples. Because collectively being together allows God to move in a unique way that is not replicated any place else on earth. So, when you get to school, you would expect me to say this as your pastor. I'm going to encourage you find a church. Find a church that teaches the Bible in a way that you can understand it. Find a church that will pray together. Find a church that will love you and care for you. When you get into the workplace and you're busy doing the things that are required and the schedule is intense and you're putting in 14 hours, double shifts, back to back. Find another believer. Find a church. Find a place to dwell in the temple of God, which is in our hearts and our hearts connected with one another. Find the citizens of the saints, the people of Jesus, because Jesus' people will be there for you when no one else will be there for you. Find them. Our team will land. And they will be greeted by Jesus' people. They will spend the majority of their time with non-Jesus people because this is so exciting and it's just so life-changing. We want them to hear about it. But the support will always be there. Find their fellow citizens. Find God's kingdom. Find God's family. Find God's temple. Because we're... We're no longer alienated and, we're no, and we are perfectly righteously reconciled. So now let's embrace God's destiny, which is to know him, to know one another, to love him and to love one another. It's a simple prayer. Jesus, I need you. It's all that needs to be uttered. He comes in and he begins making the change. The reconciliation is all about what he did. Not what you can do, not what I did or could do. Jesus, I need you. The second half of that prayer oftentimes gets left out sometimes, but it is extremely critical. Just pray. I need the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church more than any other entity. And they can take polls every year and say that church attendance is declining and and respect for church is declining and, and the authority of the church is declining. But let me tell you something. We may live in those type of end time scenarios, but God's love for the church has never changed. And there's absolutely no justifiable reason that the people of God should not love his church, that we should not love our fellow citizens, that we should not love the fellow members of our household, that we should not love the people we're going to spend eternity with. No justifiable reason. So whatever you discussed on coffee this morning about why you don't like church, just put it aside. God honestly doesn't care. He loves his church. He loves his people. And he wants us to be together.